Welcome to We Are in Media, Neil. Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. I know you've had a very busy schedule lately, and we really appreciate you taking the time. And we'll get into that later, too, because it's really fascinating. But uh, just to give our listeners a brief introduction, you're a space reporter for MIT Technology Review, and you have an incredible talent for taking complex niche topics and making them more appealing and relatable to a broader audience such as Jacqueline and I we're not necessarily space experts but we do you know we, we dabble. Do love all of the new current events that are happening in that area and everything uh, Neil I realize I'm opening a can of worms here but I'd love to start off our conversation by having you describe this process of how you take these complex topics and again like i said make them more appealing to a broader audience uh where should we begin kind of throwing this at you but where should we begin with that (laughs) what's your process like tell us your secrets yeah no that's a really good question also i guess on its own of kind of complex topic i guess that the way i would start off by is talking about how i have i already have an expertise in understanding how to read scientific and technical papers. Um, I'm lucky enough that I'm not any kind of engineer. I I didn't study physics, um, which is very strange when you think about that I'm a space reporter. My background is in biology, but I think I already had the sort of uh, understanding for how to navigate through that kind of literature. And I think more than that, it's a knack for understanding how to teach yourself something on your own and at least get sort of a grasp on it that you know what's going on. Uh, And I think from there, then being able to distill that into explaining to someone else who has even less of an idea of what's going on, how this makes sense, what is going on, why does this star blowing up do these kinds of things and emit these kinds of different compounds and, and radio emissions and all that stuff. It can get really weird and oftentimes I have to check myself and make sure that I know what I'm talking about. But I, but I think that's kind of a natural part, process of being a reporter. And I think luckily as a reporter, I can also lean on the fact that it's my job to reach out to scientists, engineers, and ask them what's going on. And not being afraid to just say, hey, can you explain this to me like I'm a fifth grader? Because at this point, I'm learning this like a fifth grader. And then I need to teach third graders what's going on. Yes, we're the third graders. (laughs) In this instance, for sure. First day of school. So Neil, your background's in biology. Is that what you studied in school? And then how did you get into journalism? It is, yeah. For my bachelor's, I went to Virginia Tech. I was studying uh, biology with a concentration in microbiology and immunology, which actually paid off remarkably well when covering the pandemic for a brief stint last year. Oh, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I got into science journalism in a very sort of typical way that a lot of science journalists get into this kind of profession. A lot of us enter science with an idea of going into, you know, maybe medicine or research or working in private industry, but, you know, involving a sort of kind of laboratory researchy kind of tack and... We get tired of it for reasons. We maybe flame out. I specifically was just super bad in the lab. I was messing up everything I was doing. It was mm-hmm. really embarrassing. And the professor I was working with, you could just tell she was just dreading every time I was walking into the lab to do stuff. And I think she was just like, hey, you don't have to be here anymore. <laughs> 
Um, but she was also really wonderful in, you know, understanding I also have a knack for writing. And she actually pitched to me, hey, why don't you think about you know, becoming a science writer? And I didn't know what I didn't know what that was. And like literally just went home and Googled science writing that day and realized, oh, you can get paid for, you know, writing these kinds of stories. And that would, you know, also just sort of fulfill my continued love of science while doing something that I was much more comfortable with and skilled at. That's so cool. And I love that you said earlier about how one of the skills that you possess in which it kind of allows you to distill complex information to fellow uh, elementary school level people. Um, it sounds like that's good. That's an overlapping skill that marketers and PR people need to kind of hone in on. I mean, I've definitely had clients where I technically went in not knowing anything about the industry. And I guess I never really thought about it as potentially being a strength. But I guess if you're able to go in on it, like, with a fresh mind, you can kind of translate it because you kind of had to translate it for yourself to understand. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, so is that a skill that you think you naturally have? Or is that something that like, how did you pick that up? I guess, you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. I, def I think I do. Um, and, I, you know, because I think I think one, there's, uh, you know, you're able to be sort of personable and you're willing to kind of be the stupid one in the room that asks the quote unquote stupid questions because, you know, you know that it's not a stupid question. You know that other people are asked, other people are wondering, you're wondering. And in order for you to do your job, you need to ask the stupid questions so yeah. that you can do it properly. I think, you know, both of us in our perspective professions have to deal with that. I, I think it's also just kind of a, a natural curiosity with not just being comfortable with you know, reading a story or reading an article or reading a blurb about something and then thinking, oh, that's that's neat. But reading something or learning something and then thinking, wait, I, I want to know more. This specific part is interesting to me. This part doesn't make sense to me. This part feels like it's connected to this part I read two days ago or, you know, ah. has something to do with this thing that's going on, you know, in some other aspect of what I've been researching. And I want to understand more about that. And I think it's kind of just a natural curiosity to dig into that. I think in a strange way, the, my favorite PR people that I've ever you know, worked with and talked to or are friends with are people in sort of that same mindset who aren't just comfortable with uh, you know, understanding the baseline of what they're doing for their client, but rather are just kind of genuinely like, I don't know this, and I'd like to just know more um, yeah. so that I can do my job better. And because it's, I'm just a curious person who wants to know more about these things. I guess that's what, like, you, you're essentially a, so you studied microbio, you said? I did, Is yes. It, um, okay. In, yeah, when I was doing my undergrad, yeah. Well, well, I guess scientists in general tend to be curious people, so I guess that's a good fit, too. I think so. I, I, I would say that, you know, I think what divides scientists from science journalists, for instance, is just scientists tend to study kind of one or two things for the rest of their life. And, you know, the idea that you start your work off in investigating this one gene and then you just spend four or five decades learning everything about that gene. <laughs> that's, I guess, interesting and good Good, good on scientists for doing that because that's valuable stuff. But I, I could never, I don't want to learn everything about the gene. <laughs> no, 
I don't either, it's believe it or not. kind of boring. <laughs> I'm wondering when a PR person pitches you, um, I don't know how to just, I don't know how to ask this without sounding like I'm trying to get, I don't know, get you to bash somebody, but like, can, <laughs> can you usually, <laughs> can you usually tell when a PR person doesn't know what they're talking about or Ooh. in general, do you, do you get a lot of, cause I, I would do that. I'm not going to lie. Like if I, I've never had to pitch a scientific story and, um, that would be my first fear. So I don't know. Are there are there tells that you have that you could you know describe that? I don't, am I just putting words in your mouth now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think I know what you're sort of alluding to. It's first. I guess I would just kind of like make clear that I I do think that when a um, PR rep has a client that is you know a, a space company or an aerospace company or something adjacent to that kind of like really heady technology, I get that there's a lot of challenges on that front. They're not just trying to figure out what the company is doing. They're also having to deal with usually a leadership or people at that company who have difficulty communicating those things on their own and, you know, describing like the nuances behind how a new kind of rocket propulsion is supposed to go. If, if you're the head of that company, you're thinking about this probably as a scientist or an engineer. That's not really the easy way to teach your, your your rep about how to go out and market this stuff to to the media. So I, <laughs> the first thing I would say is I, I feel for the challenges. I, I do know when a rep, you know, has not sort of kind of done their quote unquote homework on when they're pitching to me because they're usually selling this kind of same stuff that they've read um, as, I guess I would say, as sort of like a, a reader, you know, who, who might just see like a SpaceX story and think, oh, this must just be like fun stuff because it's, you know, SpaceX and, and SpaceX is a fun company and stuff. You know, I don't cover industry news like that. I, I'm not inherently interested in SpaceX just because it's SpaceX. Uh, Tech Review has, has a very sort of um, specific way that we cover space. I cover space in a more specific way than that too. And it's always sort of very clear, you know, are you pitching this to me or are you just pitching this to anybody who will listen and hoping mm -hmm. that someone bites? I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that answer sort of hit on what you're looking for. Definitely. I mean, it speaks to, um, it speaks to feedback that we receive almost in every interview that PRs and publicists and reps just need to do their research and make sure that they're pitching story ideas or commentary, whatever it is, that is a good fit. And the more you do your research, the more likely you're going to, you know, come out looking at as um, an expert and not a fool. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that makes sense. What other questions do I have about, about the pitches that you receive? So what kind of pitches, I guess, do you tend to, what tend to stand out to you when you're receiving pitches what what catches your eye and that's another broad question but I'm I like to keep them broad just so then we know where to go from no here. no that's that's a really good question and I mean I think that can vary every now and then depending on sort of what's hot in the news and if it's you know very timely then it's something I'll be taking a closer look at but honestly sort of my favorite pitches I would say are the ones that are communicating to me based on sort of what they understand about technology reviews of readership and 
tech, the technology reviews way of covering things. So for instance, we don't really cover business news or industry business news just because a company has now, you know, racked up uh, a new round of series funding and, and for VC funding. That's, that'll never be something that we talk about in our stories. It may be some, a very small nugget of information just to kind of make it clear why Sun Company is on the up and up, but it's not going to be a story. Um, it won't even be a small story for us. And my favorite pitch is go beyond those kinds of um, sort of little news bits about why this company matters of the moment and thinks about kind of what this company means in the context of a larger trend in space. So if a company is working on a new kind of propulsion that is supposed to help reduce the costs of spaceflight even further, that's a trend that we cover pretty heavily. And I'm interested in learning more about why this little thing is supposed to work out. If the pitch comes to me and can already answer that for me, then fantastic. I will go ahead and probably just schedule a call right then and there just to learn more. Um, if the pitch can't answer that for me, then you know I, I might be interested. If it's compelling enough, I'll go come back and say, well, I need to know more about this before I even want to kind of consider if there's a story here or not. Uh, I guess I would say that, yeah, along those lines, the most compelling pitches for me are the ones that can put the stories into context of, you know, why does this matter for anyone who just picks up a magazine or, or goes on the website even briefly and then is supposed to say, what am I supposed to know about the most important thing in space right now? And, you know, it's, it's the fact that trends are all going forward in making things less expensive, opening things up to more people and allowing us to think about uh, society's future in space in a much more realistic way rather than just like a nebulous, oh, some people go up there sometimes. We don't know who they are. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And when you're receiving these pitches, what are some helpful, whether it's like, a press release or additional imagery or additional commentary from whoever it is that they're pitching to speak to that topic. What's What are some helpful resources for you to have? So something I will always appreciate, I don't want to talk to CEOs necessarily. I think, you know, the top leadership is valuable sometimes, especially if there's a policy piece perhaps. But if a, if a client is working in, in on a specific technology, for instance, then the people I want to talk to are the engineers. Uh, I understand that the, that the scientists and engineers and researchers may not necessarily be, you know, providing the kind of um, finessed lines or, or messaging that the company is necessarily after. I don't, I don't come into any of these stories as, you know, inherently as an adversary or looking as, you know, for gotcha nuggets. So for me, I'm looking to talk to the engineers or the scientists because I just want to know more about the technical details so I can verify something is legitimate, so I can verify where exactly the innovations are. I, I need to know those things because that's another sort of specific way that we cover things at Technology Review. We're trying to make it very clear, very specifically clear what such and such institution or group has done that is different from other people. And we're trying to get very specific on that front. So I, I, I love it when I get pitch emails that list not 
you know, a CEO who's available or a, um, you know, CTO who's available, I'm looking for who's the engineer who, who designed this that can speak to me, that can answer the exact questions I'm looking for, who can maybe, maybe has the data in front of them that they can make available to me so I know exactly what kind of tests they run and how well they've gone, things like that. I, I, I have come to the point now where I guess, you know, like we were talking earlier, I'm able to navigate through this literature and I'm able to have these conversations in a way that I can still understand what someone is saying. Um, so I'm okay with going through the sort of weedy topics and weedy conversations, the jargony stuff. It's my job to translate that then for readers. So I don't need the polished talks. I need the nitty gritty specifics. Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. You want to go straight to the expert. And that's really good advice too for I, I would find that helpful is you don't necessarily have to, it sounds like you're saying you don't have to necessarily focus too much on the media training aspect of making sure an engineer is phrasing things correctly from like a media perspective. It sounds like you are all for taking those details and again, like we mentioned before, translating it to a broader audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think another thing that I would want to add on that too, you know, Although I think some clients obviously have fears about putting forth access to anyone at the company who may not have media training, I don't think that companies should really get scared about that. I think that you know having people come forward who can talk in a much more human way, for instance, like it helps me deliver a better story. It helps me detail things with much more color, it helps me to convey to readers why this company is much more trustworthy, why they're not just hype. You know, if, if a company is willing to talk about their weaknesses or challenges in a very honest way, that's also extremely appreciated because it means I can trust them in the future, for instance, that I want to come back to them. And maybe if I'm not writing a story directly about them, but I'm writing a story about, you know, some competitor of theirs or about a technology that is adjacent to theirs. I need to get their take. I know that I can trust them. I know that they'll be able to give me the kind of uh, insight that I'm looking for. I think that's a lot val- I think that's very valuable as well. And, you know, like I said, we're not going out of our way to kind of, you know, pin, you know, a, 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 a dark, a, a dark thing on these companies and say, Oh, you know, here's where, here's where they're lying to you or anything like that. We're, 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 we're in our, we're like curious as well. We are inherently curious and we want to tell our readers about curious things because they're curious as well. And I think being able to give a, a holistic context on all of that is valuable. I think it, it benefits all, everyone in that instance. That's really good advice. It actually also relates to this episode we had with the editor of an auto. It's totally different, but the editor of an automobile site, Automobile Blog is the name. His name is Carl Anthony, and he told us too how he likes to go directly to the engineers, those who are involved in the actual uh, whatever it is that he's reporting on, those that are involved directly with that product or directly with that technology. He didn't talk about like media training. We didn't dive into that, but it's really interesting and refreshing to hear your perspective on that as well. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that makes sense. I think most most tech reporters are find it uh, a much more valuable experience chatting with 
you know, someone who's just kind of directly working with the technology in question. Right. Makes sense. I think this is great. I'm just going to TLDR what I've heard so far. And I, I like to kind of cut down to the chase too. So if it sounds harsh, it doesn't mean to be, but it sounds like you really are looking for sources and stories that cut down or get down to what you're writing about, which is about progressing the information we know about like space and relevant topics to that. You're less concerned with speaking directly to CEOs and representatives of uh, companies related to space that are only going to give you uh, business news. You're more of a, you're a science writer, basically. You don't necessarily need to have a polished CEO get on call and just give you fluff and give you financials. That's literally not what you write about at all. And when you do receive pitches like that, it kind of shows to you that they didn't really do their homework on what you write about, essentially. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, hundred percent. I would say I, Sweet. yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I just want to be able to chat with the people who are directly working on Involved. these things. Yeah. You know, they're usually the most interesting characters to chat with too, because oh, I'm sure, you know, they're like, I, yeah, I don't know to what extent the both of you have been able to sort of, um, you know, <laughs> work with clients who are, you know, in, in science and tech or oriented on that front. But the people who are kind of like nerding out on these things, they, they're really enthusiastic. They're super nice. They just want to, they're like passionate in a way that it doesn't feel like a corporate sell. Like they're not yep. selling you on their business. They're selling you on their passion. They're selling you on what this could do for people at large not just their own clients you know they're, they're trying to they're trying to tell you why this matters to normal people they're oftentimes the best salesman than the actual salesman at the company yeah without even trying to sell they're just that enthusiastic about it and they get it yeah essentially yeah. that's really cool do you ever get it wrong in your reporting like do you ever incidentally misreport a scientific a t- scientific concept that you thought you had a firm grasp on and you realized that it was wrong or is the fact checking really good at your publication that something like that would probably never happen i think every science journalist has gotten things wrong multiple times it just happens like all of us are reporting on things that we're not necessarily attuned to knowing the exact super nuanced background behind you know, so yeah. you know as as we're trying to teach ourselves things we're perhaps conflating things incorrectly we're over, oversimplifying we are making it make sense in our head in a way that may not be exactly correct there is something of a pushback between that because you'll often hear a lot of scientists maybe grouse that this thing was oversimplified or this analogy isn't exactly the most perfect fit and then Sometimes I have a point and you can tweak the language or, or make it better. And then sometimes you're just kind of like, yeah, but the reader has to know what's going on. And this is the best way to do it. Like, I know yeah. it's not perfect, I, but this is, this is how we, you know, stick the, the, the square peg into the round hole and make it fit. And that's the best we can do. So it's a, it's a back and forth. It's a give and take. And it's never a perfect process. But every science journalist goes through, goes through this problem. 
I think we're there. There was a kind of nice discussion on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago amongst like the science journalist community, as we were all talking about being a lot more forgiving to ourselves for when we get things wrong. Because it's when I think science journalists when they get things wrong, any reporter when they get things wrong, they dread it. But science journalists in particular, it's like you're you're a science journalist. Like you're supposed to already know this stuff front to back and. And when you get things wrong, it's like exceptionally embarrassing. And we do the best we can. And that also means appreciating when the, our sources get back to us and say, "I don't think this is correct." And knowing that they that we can that we're working with them, that we're not here to intentionally misreport something like that. That we want them to come back to us and say, "I don't think this is correct," and I think this might be a better way of saying this. Or I think this is the right way to doing this. And you know, figuring out what the best fit is. I like that. Um, me too. Do you, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but uh, out of curiosity, do you ever just make corrections in the published stories or do you just keep it in mind for the future? Yeah, we always have to make corrections. If, if something is wrong, it, it needs to be... Like need, wrong, yeah, yeah. yeah if, something is, if something is wrong, it needs to be corrected uh, immediately. Um, there's, yeah, there's no question about that. Um, you know, I, I think... One interesting thing I always sometimes get is there have been in the past, for instance, you know, when you're working with a PR rep who's working with a client, you know, with whom you've spoken to some sources at the company with, and then, you know, they have a problem with some of the language and, you know, they're saying, oh, this isn't exactly how we would write this. Here's our quote unquote correction for that. And it's not really a connect. It's not really a correction. It's yeah. <laughs> really just a rewrite. Um, that is the language that um, that company prefers. And I, I always have to emphasize that if it's not wrong, we're not changing it. Something yeah. has to be wrong for us to for us to change. Um, once again, we're we're not going out of our way to to make people look bad and to indict them for no reason on anything. Um, if it's wrong, we will absolutely change it. We'll issue a correction. We'll apologize. But if it's not wrong, we're not changing anything. Yes. Oh, my God. This is, Britt, I think this is good for listeners to keep in mind because I feel yeah. like this is common. This is very common no matter who you represent, that the CEO or whoever is ruling over your job is like. Changing their minds. Yeah, they're like, please, like, can you see about, I mean, it gets pretty bad. It's like. Oh, I don't like the anchor text they used on the backlink to, oh, directly yes. to our to the client website. Can you ask them to change it? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't tell a journalist to change the wording of their story just because it doesn't feel like the best for quote unquote corporate speak or whatever, however you want to call that baloney. I don't know. You know this. This actually reminds me of a back and forth I had just a few days ago. Um, about a recent story that I had written, and the, uh, the PR rep who I was working with, who's a fantastic person, who I love getting pitches from them. Um, they've always been super easy to work with, and the companies that they rep are companies that we're, we always talk to. I, I got a, I got a message from them after this story that I had written that a client uh, had some issues with uh, one of my one of the descriptions I used about a certain technology on there, and they sent back the client's suggestion about how this is supposed to read. Again, nothing was wrong on that description, but even stranger was the fact that the suggestion that they 
pitch back, pitch back to us. It was something that was just much more abstract and didn't, <laughs> it, you know, it, it made the whole thing sound nebulous for readers. Yeah. And, you know, I explained back to the PRF that I was corresponding with, I was like, well, we're not going to make this. Um, and especially because, you know, if this is less clear for our readers. Like, I understand that this might be the language that's used on marketing materials or, you know, how you would want to represent this, you know, on the side of the company. But for our readers who, who want to know what's going on, who are extremely heavily nerdily interested in these things, they want to know what this actually is. And the best thing for you guys is to actually think about things as how would I explain this to, to, to our readers who have no idea what's going on and they want the simple language. Well, and it sounds like you still have a great relationship with that PR rep. So I think that's a good lesson for listeners too, is to, you know, if you do end up having a conversation like this with a journalist, you're not necessarily canceled. Just be polite and understand where they're coming from. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so much of this industry is, you know, you're working with humans and the best way for two people to work together is to just be humans with one another. Wow. We hear that a lot. It's kind of fun. (laughs) It's a good reminder. It is. I always like hearing it. Yeah. I'm, well, you know, especially during a pandemic right now, like the best thing you can mm-hmm. do is just sort of be honest with one's challenges. And because, you know, we understand hardships on both ends and no one wants to kind of drag things out on longer than they need to be. So I, I think, that, yeah, just being humans, being honest, being empathetic, it's, it makes things so much easier. Ooh, you know something I do too. <laughs> Whenever I um, I do have to go back to a journalist because my client wanted me to for whatever reason, I end up just dragging whoever's in charge of me a little bit. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry to ask you this, but uh, it's really not my idea, but I feel like I have to. And honestly, I feel like then they get it, you know? And then like, if it's a kind no, like I can live with myself kind of thing. Um, and then they seem to be understanding. So, hey, maybe that's a good tip too. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, sometimes, you know, making it clear that this isn't me, this is my, this is my superior and, you know, <laughs> like I'm just the, I'm just doing what's asked of me. It's, I think having bosses and, and then being able to put the blame a little bit on bosses always helps it. So. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, Britt, what's your next question? I think what you just shared is such a lovely way to recap everything we've been saying, like be human and don't be afraid to be too polished because you're going to translate it anyways for the readers and oh. you're not there to indict people. Jackie, what? Uh, yeah. And on that too polished note, I've had problems like that. Well, not problems, but I do know that lots of PRs deal with this or they want to shelter the uh awkward um like data scientist or whoever is behind all the nerdy technical stuff at your company because they might not be you know the the most presentable polished people uh to interview but depending on who you're reaching out with they might actually be the best person to get on the interview and explain the stuff so don't yeah, like you said, don't worry about being so polished. Think about the quality of like what you're trying to actually pitch. Well, you know, I think like it's it's 2021, right? Like isn't awkwardness kind of in? <laughs> isn't isn't that like a, a sort of nicer selling point these days? And I think yes. I think it would yeah, behoove companies to sort of lean in on that and think who who do you want uh, who do we want the 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 person sending our message out? We want it to be the person people can 
relate to and chat with. Yeah. Yeah. Lean into your awkwardness. That might have to be the title of this episode. (laughs) I like it. I like it too. So you said that you worked with a PR person who represents like multiple uh, clients that you've worked with. Are you saying that there are science publicists out there and that that's like a whole career that you could have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, put you on the spot. No, no, I mean, I guess, oh. I'm, you know, because in my head, I'm just sort of distinguishing science from technology. I guess oh, my, ans- my answer would be there are technology publicists. There are people okay, who represent okay various technology groups science reporting itself is kind of a weird stranger thing because you're mostly dealing with research institutions you know at universities or you know federal institutions and stuff so the pr ecosystems that you're dealing with are kind of of a different sector than you know the private industry ones where those are much more populated by technology companies that you'd be interacting with Um, okay that makes a lot of sense and then one last question on that um (laughs) So with the private or yeah, the no, the public institutions like uh, let's say university has some groundbreaking research. Do they have publicists that reach out to you or how do you get connected to that kind of information? then? Yeah, absolutely. The every every university has a comms team that, you know, works to, you know, publicize the research that's going on there. And I talk with those people all the time. Almost every day I'm corresponding with someone at some university who I need to get in touch with because one of the researchers just published this story. I need to get in touch with them. This is one of the nice things I've learned as I've gone through this career is understanding that, especially when it comes to the comms people at these universities, the easiest way for me to get in touch with whomever I need to talk to is to actually just go through them because they're the ones who know how to get a hold of such and such professor or researcher, you know, as soon as possible within my deadline, get my questions to them, get them back to me. It's um, PR people when it comes to science reporting are definitely a a friend. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of your friends, is there any particular person that you want to give a shout out to a little feel good (laughs) moment? Yeah. Um, You know, so one person I think I would want to shout out right now, um, this guy, Matthew Flannery at Edelman, um, he is has always been very, very helpful um, for me. He uh, reps um, a few different uh, tech companies. He, he's always just been really easy to work with because he's not afraid of pinging me back if I haven't, if I've missed something just to make sure it's on my radar, but he's also not pushy on things. Uh, you know, certainly is not... Uh, he, he definitely understands how busy I, I can be sometimes, I think. So he's, he's there to just sort of like get things on my radar. And if it's not going to work or if it's um, not helpful, you know, I'm very genial about just kind of pulling back and saying, yeah, no worries. Um, be sure to update you on the next thing coming up. So that's, cool. yeah, he, he has always just been really easy to work with ever since I started at Tech Review. He's connected me with a lot of different resources. A true connector. Yeah. There is, there's someone else I wanted to shout out to, actually. Let me see if I can pull yeah. her name. Oh, yeah. Um, the more the merrier. Yeah, so uh, the second person that I wanted to shout out is uh, Caitlin Tehan at Fleischman Hillard. She, I've only just recently kind of been corresponding with her, but she was very helpful in helping me get in touch with some people who were working on the United Arab Emirates Mars mission. You know, when that was coming up, she was 
really good about getting in touch with me ahead of time and making sure that she could set aside some availability with some of the top leaders of that mission. She is someone who I plan on keeping in touch with moving forward as well. Uh, I always really appreciate that sort of heads up when there's a big event coming up and making sure that uh, some, someone is making sure they can reserve some availability for sources for me. That's wonderful. It's it's a very good tip as well for us PRs too, just to make sure that we're giving you the latest information and letting you know where you're going to be able to find it and when. That's great. Before we end the show, are there any other tips or words of advice that you feel we didn't cover? I guess my only last piece of advice would just be that, you know, as long as you know what the writer or reporter that you're reaching out to sort of does, how they like to cover things, uh, what the publication they work at likes to cover things as, you know, what their angle is, what their sort of vision is. Um, I think that's, you'll, you'll have a better sense then about whether something's a good fit or not. I think it's a lot less useful to just be sending out blast emails versus, you know, something that's very specific that uh, makes it very clear that you've read the publication and this is why you think this story or this company belongs in the publication. No spamming and jamming. <laughs> we love to hear that. <laughs> thank you so much, Neil. This has been a really fun conversation. And thank you also for not quizzing us on any space stuff. Because I would. <laughs> Same. I know nothing. 